This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, and uh, I told a story on the air a couple of months ago, and uh, maybe a year ago, I don't know. The time just, when when you're totally nocturnal, time is just totally difficult to comprehend. In any event, I told a story that um, a friend of mine, an attorney who was very close to Justice Scalia, told him. It was an anecdote that I repeated And uh, basically, Scalia, who had many children, was trying to persuade my friend to, who had, I think, one child at the time, to have more children. And Scalia said to him, well, it's because my friend was concerned about expense and other things. And Scalia said to him in words or substance, well, you got to keep having kids because you're a good person. Your wife's a good person. And you have to keep having kids because... Pretty soon, you know, we need more good people to have children because you need more good people to counteract all the bad people that are out there. And I thought it was, on the one hand, a very simplistic explanation, but on the other hand, very profound. And it really resonated with me. Well, I talked about it, and a whole bunch of people wrote to me. They commented in the Facebook group. You could join that Facebook group, by the way. Just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And they said, there's no guarantee that good people will have good children. You know what? I thought about that. And I've thought about it in the last, I don't know, 10 months or years since I saw that comment. And I thought, you know, you're right. I know a lot of folks that have been model parents, model people, and their parent, their children turned out to be total miscreants. Then there's an article in the Wall Street Journal this weekend about Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, Sam Bankman-Fried could be facing 100 years in prison. You remember him. A couple of years ago, he was worth about $24 billion. He was the toast of the political community. He was the toast of the philanthropic community. Everybody couldn't go on and on about what a revolutionary Sam Bankman-Fried was enough. He was the, uh, the, the, the man who made crypto a household name. He was an angel investor in new media organizations. He was everywhere... But it looks like 
he was basically running a fraud. He looks like he was running a con. And now he's going to face 100 years in prison, potentially. And during the trial for Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgrace crypto wunderkind, the courtroom artist did an evocation of his parents at the moment of the verdict. His father is bent over, white head in his hands. His mother is covering her face. And the shadowing of their dark clothes merges them into a single mountain of unspeakable grief. Journalists in the room were just as riveted at the parents' reaction as the court reporter was, or the courtroom artist was. They wrote about his mother, Barbara Freed, crumpling, and his father, Joe Bankman, doubling over, and of them holding each other up. They were almost physically deflated. We don't know exactly how they look because they don't allow cameras in the courtroom, which is just the bane of my existence. But anyway, they were covering their faces and it didn't shield them from the intense scrutiny that was coming from every direction. These were accomplished people. These were Stanford law professors. Now, when you have a couple of Stanford law professors that procreate, they're an unlikely couple to be watching their son remove his tie and shoelaces as he's taken off to prison. The mother taught legal ethics. The father focused on financial regulation. Now, these are details that would seem a little heavy-handed in the irony if this was a movie or a book or something. In the their wildest dreams and their worst nightmares all came to fruition with their son, Sam Bankman-Fried. Their child succeeded beyond their expectations. And he rebelled a bit by entering the world of finance, but he held up their beliefs by giving away huge portions of that money, but then flouted those same expectations by becoming a convicted criminal. The headline in the Wall Street Journal piece over the weekend was, why are we so obsessed with Sam Bankman-Fried's parents? It's an interesting article, but the reason I think we are is because they did everything right, as far as we know. They didn't abuse him. They gave him every advantage. They were kind people. They made sure he got an education. And I think part of the fascination with this Sam Bankman-Fried trial was the inevitable confrontation between parental love and the harsh reality that Sam Bankman-Fried is now experiencing. There was... In the press and in the public, a tremendous hunger for the parents to process that their son had committed the crimes that he was accused of. Because, honestly, the evidence was pretty overwhelming. A reporter actually wrote, whatever delusions, this was in the publication The Verge, whatever delusions they may have had about their son's innocence dissipated over the course of the trial. That's what the reporter wrote. But honestly, there's no evidence that this is true. And so this raises 
a very unsettling question. Can any parent see their child clearly? One wonders if the images that we have fixed about our children can ever be shaken. Um, what, there's a quote in this journal piece, Sam will never speak an untruth. It's just not in him. That's a quote from his mother. Now, that's delusional or a fantasy. If we are all this blind on the subject of our sons and daughters, if we follow them to any dark place they go, then Sam was pretty conspicuously and flagrantly lying on the stand. But his parents might not ever believe that. So this story of Sam Bankman-Fried's parents, it shows us how deranging parental love is. The values they upheld were totally destroyed. Their entire selves, the parents, were reorganized by this. And now they've been forged into different human beings. So it got me thinking. How do you know? If you're a parent, obviously you love your child. How do you know you're doing the right thing? Is there anything that can be done to make sure your child doesn't become a jerk? That he doesn't go down a wayward path? You make sure they are healthy. You make sure they're educated. You make sure that they're taught the values you think are important. All indications are that Bankman Freed's parents did just that. Um, so it's just got me thinking, if that Scalia axiom is not true, meaning good parents have good children, Why is it not? Why would any set of parents that does everything the right way, whatever the right way is, why would they have a child that goes, that breaks bad? I'd love to hear your opinion on this. Obviously, I don't think we're going to get a a hard and fast answer. Obviously, I I don't know that there is an answer. But if you have a theory as to why, and you can make it go the other way too, but if you have a theory as to why good parents have bad children or why bad parents have good children, I'd love to know. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Let me give you a preview of uh, some of the type of content you may hear when we do the mail a little bit later. Um. Carol in the Facebook group on the subject of my son Carmine writes, probably the only person who can stand Frankie is Carmine. Give the kid till his teenage years. Frank will be an embarrassment to the boy. Now, I hope that's not the case, but maybe that's true. Who knows? (laughs) So anyway, um, Ellen, who celebrated her birthday over the weekend in Buffalo, she wrote that Frank is so thrilled Carmine is loving and empathetic towards him. That's because Frank is so loving towards him. Sounds like Frank mo- Frank's mom was loving to him. See how it is, she writes? So she kind of subscribes 
to that Scalia school of thought. That if you do the right thing, then the kids turn out okay. But sometimes they don't. And I'd love to know why, in your opinion, they don't. 800-848-9222. You're obviously welcome to uh, comment on any other issue as well. Uh, Rogers in Massachusetts. Hi, Roger. Yeah, hi, boy. This is an interesting subject also. Um, Dominic Carter is a good example of um, uh, not having good parenting, but turned out terrific because someone took him under. Is he, though? I don't want to blow up Dominic's spot, and Dominic is a close friend of mine, but I walked in here last night, and Dominic was not even wearing a necktie. So is he really somebody that could be held up as a paragon of virtue when he's walking around doing a radio show without even wearing a necktie? Well, first of all, I like neckties, and I've got about maybe 18 of them, and I take good care of them, number one. And I'll wear them when I, when I, I, don't, I don't like the non-necktie thing with jacket. And number two, I understand <laughs> he wears neckties a lot. And number three, he certainly turned out better than what he could have turned out because somebody took him under their wing. And I think of asking, you know, parents, you know, I was brought up very, very well, but I had to tell, try to explain to my mother, uh, you know, while she was still alive, that, you know, there are some things that, I did that disgraceful and uh, with bad company over the year. There's some things that, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, that you would be extremely um, ashamed of me for. And um, uh, now I had turned from all that, but still I, had, I felt like I needed to explain that because I feel I had a very good upbringing, but it wasn't, I mean, you, she would talk to me. You know, I would learn a lot of lessons from her, but there wasn't any of the sit down and asking questions, asking asking anything about me. They, they really, they just guessed about me. Um, but, you know, the, but the other thing is the reason why I initially called, though, was because uh, Assange, that was on um, WikiLeaks, right? And if that's the case, what you, you described, you used the word journalism in, 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 while discussing the subject of, of uh, Julian Assange now, and a lot of people would like to free him up. So did he, what was the wrong he actually did? The guy, everyone, a lot of people think it's illegal. And, and you use the word journalism. Could you, I mean, I don't know. I've forgotten, I guess, what he leaked and was it, how did he obtain it and the legality or not? Could you maybe uh, just a brief? So uh, again, and it's a little bit of a complicated case and I've tried to cover this in my interviews with his brother, but um, there were many leaks that he published. And uh, let me be very clear. Many of, much of the material that he acquired uh, through WikiLeaks and then published that was not lawfully in, uh, obtained. And, uh, for instance, the John Podesta emails, somebody hacked into John Podesta's emails. Now, I certainly don't condone that kind of behavior, and nor, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it's not on Julian Assange because somebody hacked John Podesta's emails. Just like the, uh, the Pentagon Papers, which were published by the New York Times and the Washington Post, they weren't lawfully acquired either, but it's not on the publisher to do that because of Julian Assange and, and WikiLeaks. And, and we could explore this more in the coming days because of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. We know of 
that what uh, we know of how the Democratic Party tried to rig the primary process in 2016 against Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton. We know about the video of a U.S. helicopter fire-killing civilians in Iraq. We know about all sorts of documents from the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. We know what Hillary Clinton was uh, telling to groups that were paying her and how that differed from what she was telling to the other members of the public. We know some of what was in the Army Manual at Guantanamo Prison Camp. I mean, these are serious uh, journalistic accomplishments, which in my view altered the course of history i think more often than not for the better but um we can we can review that more in the coming days i'm going to try and um if we can't get uh assange's brother back maybe um someone else that feels strongly about this that i have in mind who can speak to this you know from another end but the thing that he's charged with is they're claiming that he assisted in the hack that um i mean i think it's a stretch i think it's a big stretch 800-848-9222, 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222, Neil is in Baltimore. Hello, Neil. Good morning, Mr. Morano Domini. How are you today? I am doing uh, just peachy. Thank you. So I really loved Dr. Laura Schlesinger, and I've read her books and listened to her radio program for many years. And one of the things that I remember her saying quite clearly was a woman called in with worrying about her one son, and she had three children. And the bottom line was, she said to her, well, you know, two out of three ain't bad. And it made me think about the fact that, you know, you can do so much for your children, and then you have to let go and, and let them make their own mistakes. I, I've recently run into that problem myself and had to kind of grit my teeth. So, you know, not everybody's perfect, obviously. We've all made mistakes. But your children, they, they've got to they got to figure it out for themselves, really. Well, no Thanks, question. Uh, thanks, yeah. Neil. I'm going to let you go because your phone's a little wacky there. There's no question your children have to figure it out for you for themselves. My question is how do you, if there is a way, it sounds like there may not be, but is why do good parents have children that are bad? In some cases, pure evil. And why do good parents have children you know, why do bad parents have children that go the other way? Uh, my Uncle John just sent me an SMS text message saying maybe it's only child, question mark. Well, that did not hold true with Sam Bankman Freed. Sam Bankman Freed wasn't an only child. He had a brother. And I know a lot of only children that turned out uh, perfectly well. And a lot of sets of brothers that turned out very different. You know the story of the Bulger brothers? Whitey Bulger was... One of the most notorious criminals, not just in New England, but in the whole country. He ran the Winter Hill Gang. And he was a, a, basically a mafia boss, a Irish mafia boss. But he was so much worse than being just a mafia boss, which is in itself bad enough. He's killing people, he's stealing from people, probably involved in drug dealing, involved in extortion, hurt people, uh, cheated on all the women he was involved with. Bad guy. His brother, his younger brother, uh, Jane, uh, Billy Bulger, William Bulger, straight as an arrow, not only did he become incredibly well-educated, not only did he go on to the state senate and accomplish a lot of great things for working class 
Irish communities in Massachusetts in the state Senate. He actually became the head of the state Senate and then became the chancellor of a major university in Massachusetts and helped a lot of people that were going to public college in Massachusetts get educated. Now, what explains that? Same upbringing, same parents, same place. And yet Whitey Bulger becomes a notorious criminal and his brother Billy becomes a pillar of the community. I don't know that there is an explanation. I began the conversation that way, but I wonder. 800-848-9222. Charlie's in Hell's Kitchen. He's been holding a while. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Frank. And I wanted to call. I wanted to comment. I really disagree with Dave from the Bronx. He was a caller that called in a while ago. And you were kind of agreeing with him. But he was criticizing Trump for President Trump, former President Trump, for using the word vermin. And you correctly, you played the quote from President Trump himself saying it in context. But I was surprised you kind of agreed with David. First of all, I don't think it's a Nazi dog whistle. I think it's quite appropriate that he was referring to the radical left and and what I I didn't say that it was a Nazi dog whistle. I I didn't find that at all. Okay, but David seemed to Mm -hmm. think it was. David uh, seemed to think it was. And uh, uh, other people were using it, and he was saying it was terrible. Well, I I don't think it's terrible. I, I think President Trump was commenting on a problem which the the left has done. And I wanted to point out something else, too. I was listening to Alice and Joseph. That was a terrific interview you did. You have very good interview skills. I know a number of people mention that, Frank, but you do. And she's a terrific person to be interviewed. And the subject that you were talking about, and I told you what that happened to me a week ago, is I had my yarmulke knocked off my head walking around the Hell's Kitchen neighborhood just by some young tough guy. And some young thug, and I'm pretty sure he didn't vote for Trump. I didn't take the time to ask him. I doubt that he voted at all in the elections, but, I mean, if he did, he certainly wasn't a Trump supporter. And and it's it's just terrible that these types of things are happening, and and I I, I think that Allison Joseph brought up a number of good points that happened, and I think that Donald Trump gets wrongly blamed for this stuff, when he did so much for for Jews, not only here in America, but obviously in Israel. And and I, <coughs> I'm sorry, I think that, uh, that David from the Bronx is simply uh, captured by Trump derangement syndrome. And there's a lot of people that have an irrational hatred. For All him right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks, Charlie. I don't want to uh, pick on David because, you know, he's not here to defend himself. But um I, I also look, I, I think Trump's comment there was totally inappropriate. I mean, I, I just I just don't think that's the kind of thing you should be saying on Veterans Day. I mean, I, I get we all use rhetoric that tends toward the hyperbolic. And I know that uh, Donald Trump really loves revving up a crowd. And when you have a crowd that hangs on every word that he says and they just can't stand all of his enemies that are persecuting him, I know it's easy to get caught up. I've been there. But um, you shouldn't do it, in my opinion. 800-848-9222. Steve is in Baltimore. Hello, Steve. Good morning. How are you? Doing great. Thank you, Steve. So I was thinking about the uh, the children being raised by good parents, and sometimes they don't always turn out all that great. You know, it's, 
the uh, referring to the saying, it takes a village to raise a child. So I think sometimes kids get into schools and, and some impressionable children, they just fall in with some bad apples, you know, and then they, they just think that's the way to go and that's what they do, you know. I Well, so there's no way to prevent it then. Um, I, I think it's some preventable. One thing, you know, you want to try to do with your children, of course, is to keep them busy. You get them involved in, in sports or, or some type of activities outside of school. You you stay involved with them. You know, don't be a drop-off parent. Um, there's things you can do to try to prevent it, but I just think that sometimes kids go to school and, and, and they, they get involved with You can't be with them 100% of the time. No. Yeah, well, of course not, Steve. Uh, thank you. And um, that, uh, look, look, maybe he's right. Maybe we're all just powerless. Who knows? 800-848-9222. Joe is in the Queens. Hello, Joe. Yeah, Frank, uh, I'll give a comment. Uh, but first, I wanted to reference uh, the Weekend University podcast. Looks really interesting. So that's the Weekend University podcast. But the the podcast I listened to was on Big Farmer. Uh, the name of the interviewee was... Well, well, what uh, is the Jane. Weekend University podcast? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, yeah, I just thought it seems like they're interviewing, like, pH-level scientists. Right, but, different... but, but who is? Uh, it looks like it's out of the U.K. Right, I guess uh, I'm just not clear. Why are you giving them a commercial right, no, right no, now? No, no, I'm just saying uh, I'm, I'm not giving them a commercial. I'm just saying it was good information. I'm just sharing it with you. You might be interested because gotcha. some of the stuff okay. overlaps with what you show. Okay. But on, on the parents, I do think, you know, and I'll give you one example that was bizarre, but I do think that the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the parents are a huge early influencer for better or worse. You know, that, that does remain in the, in the background. You still there, Frank, right? Yeah, I'm listening to you. Yeah, okay. So I, I think you can realize yourself how much your parents influenced you early on and how you still, you know, refer back to that, you know. But uh, there were two people in this town, two brothers, that were as bad as bad could be. And I later on met the sister, and she was very pleasant, very normal. And I was like, how could there be such a dichotomy within the family? How could, like, a sister grow up and be like this and have the two brothers that were literally, like, terrorizing? And, and I think they subsequently died, you know what I mean? They were in such uh, nefarious stuff from, like, drug overdoses. But uh, how could there be such a, a dichotomy within a family? That that was weird, without knowing the parents. Yeah, uh, thanks, Joe. 800-848-9222. Ray is in Riverdale. Hello, Ray. Hello, uh, Frank. Uh, this uh, commenting on the Franklin Tree's parents, you're assuming that they were good parents because they were accomplished. Well, I, mean, I, I, I am, but also I, I, the fact that they went to his trial every day, the fact that they made sure he was healthy and well-educated, the fact that the mother... Uh, almost refused at any point to acknowledge that her son was capable of any sort of wrongdoing, it all leads me to think that they were relatively supportive and nurturing in all the key areas that one would hope that a parent is. Okay, but how do you know that? I don't. I don't. That's true. Well, 
look at this, look at this way. How many family dinners did they really sit down and eat together? How many uh, times did the father take the kid out and just have a catch with him? I mean, you don't know that. You don't know what what, what they did to what, I mean, how they uh, raised them. They might've just raised them with tutors and nannies or whatever. When I'm not saying that's wrong per se, but there's something about that where kids got all the too much privileges and he abuses it. Yeah, I, I, you're right. Look, really Ray, uh, to, to your point, there's no way uh, to know exactly what went on there because I, I wasn't there. So I can't speak to that. My sense, though, and thanks for the call, Ray, my sense is that that wasn't the case. Uh, they strike me as parents that were very active and very involved in their uh, children's lives. So I don't know. Um, if you want to continue to hold, we'll get to you. We're going to go through, well, we'll try and get to you. Gnome Laden coming up in a minute, and then we're going to go through the mail. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I've got these wine stained tears running fresh down my face. Looks like this bottle of drink just couldn't replace the reality that now you are on guard. You probably took the road we used to travel on, but what do I do now? I can't just sit around and let my whole world stop turning, cause you're never gonna This is Wine Stained Tears by a terrific young artist by the name of Natalie Blue. Uh, this song is uh, available wherever music is available, Spotify, Amazon. You can also go to her website, natalieblue.com. Uh, not only does she have a great voice, but uh, happens to be someone I am related to. She is married to my brother-in-law, David, and she is just a phenomenal uh, singer, one of the, the best that I've ever heard in person, and uh, want to definitely encourage everybody to check out not only this song, but some of her previous music. Uh, this song is called Wine Stained Tears. Again, you can check out her website, natalieblue.com, uh, but uh, very, very proud of her that she's done so well in the music business. Also very proud to be sitting across from a real man with a nose for news. Stand by for the other side of Midnight's News. From New York City, the other side of Midnight. 
Sundays. And its affiliated stations present national and international news with Frank Morano and news director Noam Layden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story. Well, Noam handles the news. I handle the personal comment. Hello there, Noam. Good, good morning, Frank. We were watching on last night, Frank, as a large bus of families who have loved ones that are being held hostage in Gaza mm. flew in on a chartered flight from uh, Tel Aviv to New York City, then were taken on a bus to the grave site of a famed Jewish rabbi to pray over his grave in hopes that that might free their loved ones. Here's one of the hostage families. It's already 39 days that we are missing them. We have no information about them whatsoever. We don't know their condition, their physical condition. We're talking here about elderly people, sick people, wounded people, babies. Now, the majority of Israelis are secular, so some of them, if you had asked them a couple months ago whether they would come and pray over the gravesite of a famed rabbi, they might have smiled and laughed and winked at you. But now they said, okay, let's try this. Now, the interesting thing is this guy, uh, this guy, his name is Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. He's considered... Um, maybe one of the more famous rabbis of the 20th century. And people from all over the world go to this uh, grave site in Queens to pray for anything, pray for good luck, to pray for good health. And when you walk into this center in Queens, so there's his grave site, which uh, has a covering over it, and next to it essentially is this office complex, is the best way to describe it, where uh, there's coffee, cookies, uh, tables, pieces of white paper where you write down what your wish or prayer is. Wow. And then there are books, volumes that look – do you remember the Encyclopedia Britannica? You remember how thick some yeah. of those oh, volumes yeah. were? Or a dictionary? There are books, endless books, of um, what are people's stories of praying over this, uh, this rabbi's gravesite and having their wishes – uh, or their dreams come true. So you can page through these books, and it's I've done a couple stories here before. It's really interesting. So you page through these books, and it's just endless stories of people, not Jewish, all of them, a lot of them not Jewish. In fact, the day I was there covering a story, Senator Cory Booker was there, uh, and it was the night before election, and he said he goes every every time he's up for re-election, he uh-huh. goes and prays over Schneerson's grave. So here these people were yesterday, or last night, and uh, they put their wishes, I imagine it was for to freedom for their loved ones, and then they walk over to the gravesite of Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, and they rip the paper up, and they throw it onto his grave. And the, then there are, I imagine, some prayers you can say as well. And the thought is, at least with these families and with the, so many people who have come and prayed at this gravesite of this 20th century rabbi, that their dreams will come true. Well, I, I uh, you know, how does it hurt, right? I it mean, doesn't. You, you, if it helps your own mental well-being and if it does uh, anything in a positive direction to get some of these folks freed, why not? God exactly. bless. Some private donor, by the way, picking up the tab for that chartered flight from Israel because there's not a lot of flights going back and forth, obviously, with the war going on. Back here in New York, you might have uh, covered a list story just a little bit, but the governor of New York, uh, Kathy Hochul, named Dr. Ruth Westheimer mm. the ambassador to loneliness. Now, this was a, a story that happened last week, but now she's speaking out about this. 
Dr. Ruth, if you don't remember, she was a famous sex therapist in the 80s on mm-hmm. the radio and has written uh, 27 books, has won all kinds of awards. And so now she's talking about what she plans to do as the ambassador to loneliness here in New York State. It is now an epidemic. It is very sad that people are very lonely and they don't have to whom to turn. And they have to admit to themselves first that they are lonely. Yes. So she says the first thing that she wants people to do is say, hey, tell somebody that you're lonely. She's talking about um, social isolation, uh, which, of course, she says is associated with physical and mental health issues, uh, cardiovascular disease. She says she's convinced a lot of that comes from loneliness and no doubt for sure dementia would be thrown in there as well. If you're spending an enormous amount of time by yourself uh, with the TV as your only company, she says that definitely leads to dementia. She does. I don't have hard research, but she says it just makes sense to her. So she's going to spend the next year working with a crew of therapists, psychiatrists to come up with a plan to tell people how they can be less lonely. The first one, she'll say, is the most obvious one. Get the hell out of your house, Mm. apartment, wherever you're living. Never say no. And uh, we've become so accustomed to this, and it's probably a lot of it tied to the pandemic, is we were afraid to go out. Now we're just afraid to go out no matter what. And so we got so used to turning down invitations that people are feeling more lonely. And the automatic assumption, she says, is that it's with people who are older, senior citizens. But she says, no, 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 that's not true. She said uh, she's finding just a huge uh, segment of the population of people younger, 30 and younger, say they're lonely as well. And so number one, she says, and she'll come up with more things over the next couple months, is don't turn down invitations. Say yes every time this year. If someone's inviting you somewhere, say, I want to be there. You know, uh, I uh, I think loneliness is a real problem. And I've spent a lot of time talking about this. And I think that uh, Dr. Ruth is a terrific ambassador for loneliness because, uh, you know, the bulk of her career has been spent on relationships and because she's so well known. And when she says something, especially with that accent, people stand up and take notice. I do think, though, that uh, and I think maybe I'm in this category that sometimes being overly committed to too many things can be uh, maybe not as bad as being a shut-in, being reclusive, but I do think it can be very taxing to take that philosophy of accepting every invitation because it's almost like you, you run yourself ragged. You're never at rest. Well, that's true, but then you can make the argument you're never alone. That's true. That is true. Right. I mean, I think the moment you're sitting in that apartment staring at the tube or at your phone for hours on end, there's nothing healthy about that. Yeah, I mean, but I think there can be something to be said for spending two hours home alone uh, reading a book or uh, researching a subject that interests you or uh, writing in a journal. I mean, if you're watching television by yourself six, seven, eight hours a day, I I would agree with you. But if you're listening to radio six, seven, eight hours a day, that's a much healthier pursuit. Yeah, no problem there. Exactly. (laughs) Spend as many hours as you want. Uh, Finally, I got one more for you. So, um, you know, how many decades has it been where air travel 
has not improved, right? I don't mean just what's going on on the plane. I mean just getting places oh, yeah. faster, right? I, think, my, I feel like we're regressing. We are. I mean, I have family that's overseas, and that 11-hour flight to get there has not changed in the last 30 years. But there is a, uh engineer who is working on a plane, and he says he's pretty close to making this happen, and he thinks when he is done, it'll be an aircraft – that would feature like a Star Wars-like spaceship design. Ooh. He thinks he could get about 170 passengers aboard and fly this at a Mach 1.5, which is the equivalent to around 1,150 miles per hour. So obviously that would get you places a whole lot faster than we are now. The um, The plane would measure about 328 feet long. He's looking for... Um, he's from Spain. He's looking for investors right now to build this. So we're a while away from making this happen. But he says, I have uh, sound engineering advice. I've done enormous amount of homework. And he says, this plane's ready to go if I get investors who are willing to spend some money on it. Now, of course, we had the Concorde. Which just That's what was, I was just going to bring up. Yeah, it was a business failure, essentially. I mean, it did get you places faster, but uh, it wasn't that comfortable. Uh, it was uh, expensive, and so he says. And this, it had some safety concerns, and it had yeah. And at the end, of course, it had some safety concerns. It crashed. Uh, one of them crashing in Paris, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, the um, this latest one, he says, would carry a lot more passengers. The Concorde did not, and uh, he says it's ready to go. If you have some money, you want to ante it up, and you believe in the future of flight, he says he's the way to go. Uh, my money is all tied up in lapel pins at the moment, so I don't know that I can I can help him out. But look, if it results in um, improved air travel for people that's uh, that's safe, then then that's great. At least he's uh, putting something out there. Yeah, right? right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you, Gnome. And now you know the rest of the story. There you go. Now you know it. Uh, all right. Um, you know, I was going to go through the mail here, but uh, I um, we only have a couple of minutes here, and I don't want to rush through this. So hopefully we'll do that tomorrow, and that'll give us an opportunity to get a little bit more correspondence. We had a couple of other pieces of snail mail that I now can't find. I'm wondering if someone has um, absconded with the snail mail that I had in the locker. I only found one piece but I remember there being more, so I'm going to look and see if I could find that. And uh, if you sent in snail mail, we will read it tomorrow. If you want to send in snail mail, our address is uh, P.O. Box 1777. Send it to my attention, Frank Morano. Although this envelope that I'm holding now is labeled Frank Mayrano, M-A-I-R-A-N-O. It still got to me, though. Uh, P.O. Box 1777, New York, New York, 10163. Or you could just send me an email. Frank.Morano at uh, RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. And then um, if you want to uh, find us on Facebook and participate in the Facebook group, you can do so at uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Let me squeeze in a couple of quick calls here before we get to um, before we get to uh, 15 seconds of fame. Jack is in New Jersey. Hello, Jack. How you doing, Frank? Frank, years ago, I don't know how true it is, and then I, I don't remember the article I read, but it, they did a test on siblings where one happened to be successful and good, and the other one went the criminal life. And they found that the one who did the criminal life had a high content of lead in their blood. Now, I don't know how true it is. I read this a long time ago, but I figured I'd throw that your way. 
That's interesting. I didn't. Uh, I haven't heard that, and uh, I will. I will look into that. Actually, that that's very interesting. You know, that reminds me. You know, I'm friendly with um, the several members of the Gotti family. Victoria Gotti called into this program uh, last week. John Gotti, the Dapper Don, you know, the Teflon Don, John Gotti Sr., he was a criminal. You know what his brother Peter was? A criminal. Do you know what his brother Gene was? A criminal. Do you know what his brother Vincent was? A criminal. So I uh, got to know John's son, you know, fairly well. And he was telling me about another uncle. That he has an uncle that nobody, especially in New York, knew Uh, he had an uncle. He was telling me, you know, I was asking John to tell me about all of his father's siblings. And he was telling me about his uncle, Bill. And he he said um, his uncle, Bill, his brother's his father's brother, Bill, Bill Gotti, senior, is the black sheep of the family. He owns a restaurant, a very successful wine business, never broken a law in his life, does everything right, wouldn't even jaywalk. And John Jr. was joking that he was the uh, he was the black sheep of the family because he was, uh, you know, he, he did everything, uh, everything by the book, straight as an arrow. So, I get, you know, there's no way to tell why certain siblings go down a wayward path and others don't. There's just not. Um, Steve's in Baltimore. Hi, Steve. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I'm one of the people who went to that grave to make some prayers and was very successful with, uh, with my prayers. Really? That's great. How long ago did you, uh, make that pilgrimage? I guess we're going back less than a year. Oh, less, less and, than a year. and your prayer came true. Yes, it did. Well, I'd love to hear that, Steve. That's great. I may uh, make a trip over to Rabbi Schneerson's grave myself. Thank you. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. 800-848-9222. Be heard on any subject you like for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. at midnight with Frank Morano. Singing the other side of midnight. 
Let me wish a, uh, a happy birthday to a friend of mine for a long time, over 20 years, uh, Bridget Ann Ryan. Uh, she is uh, a leader in the UFT in New York, the Teachers Union. She was a teacher, a wonderful person, uh, ran for city council in New York a couple of years ago. Someone that, uh, as a young person, I just had a monstrous crush on. And, of course, she never gave me the time of day. But she is a good friend and a great person besides. And want to wish Bridget a, uh, a happy birthday. Hopefully she's doing something fun today and that all of her wishes come true. If it's your wish to be heard for 15 seconds, well, now is it's time to come to fruition. 800-848-9222 as we embark upon... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Fred! Hey, good morning, Frank. Do you think when Larry Elder used to introduce his father to people, that was a little redundant? <laughs> We want the flurry dories. We want the flurry dories. Rusty. Yeah, the show's four hours. You devote two minutes to the show. You always screw it up with the phones and everything like that. You're going to lose listeners. That's the best part of this show. And you just want to screw it up. What are you, some pot over there or something? You- Larry. Who was the last black man to go to jail for political corruption? Norman Seabrook? This is a phony case. It's like the Biden document case. They're blowing smoke up Eric's ass for no, just for a spectacle. That's all. It's called even-handed signal. Rocco. Yes, Israel now, Israel forever. I'd like to thank Alan Dershowitz for defending my cousin, Iron Mike Tyson. Customato is my uncle. He didn't win that case, but he did represent him. So I, I appreciate. Jay. Whitey Bulger was a gangster biker. And definitely a one percenter, but ninety nine percent of bikers are good people. Sunny, I saw the uh, trials of Alan Dershowitz, and I highly recommend it. It exceeded my expectations, and I saw Sid uh, Rosenberg over there. Great gentleman, Cheech. America, look! Look what's happening to you. The Ten Commandments and Pledge of Allegiance left the classroom. Girls are allowed to join the Boy Scouts. Millions are invading our country. Each year, thousands are being killed by fentanyl. The First and Second Amendment are on jeopardy. Trump is the... Rob War. Trump is right. The communists are trying to take over our country. They weren't defeated when Russia became un-Soviet Union. Greg. Ah, Lincoln had four sons. Yeah, uh, only one that lived to adulthood, though. Robert Todd Lincoln. All right. Um, On that note, that slams the lid on things for today. Back tomorrow with Dr. Sky, Tony Lyons, and uh, the director of this Alan Dershowitz documentary. A lot of interesting things. Frank Morano, good day.